0: Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited but I've just come into possession of a cure for insomnia. (music)
1: What do you want? Yeah, that was good, listener. I've got bad news. Those are fake laughs at the beginning of every episode, <laughs> and I don't think we really have the steam for it this week because he, Caleb's finally actually leaving.
2: He is. He uh, is. Uh, this is
1: the for real last episode. I know we told you that like eight weeks ago, but
0: Latino well, Review says this is his last show. We'll see if that pans <laughs> out. <the line>. <laughs>
3: It is a sad, sad time, but we are glad to be talking movies one more time with the great Caleb Masters. Uh, Caleb, tell us a little bit about what's happening with you, and then we're going to do some more introductions around the table. I am moving to
2: the great, or not so great, depending on who you ask, state of uh, Arizona. Not so great. Uh, it's sunny, and it's nice during the winter that's all it has going yeah, yeah. so is Belize well let's, let's list some things Oklahoma's got going for it fair uh, enough
3: <laughs> you make a um,
2: uh, plan is actually to pursue a master's degree uh, in liberal arts and film at uh, Arizona State University at least uh, that's the current plan and uh, I would still like it. So hopefully, during certain episodes, be able to Skype in and do guest hosting with you guys every periodically because you guys are just awesome, and listeners, you guys are just awesome. Thank you so much, Good Trash, for having me on. It's been a real honor, and it's been a blast.
3: Well, we're not going to get schmaltzy and all this stuff at this point. I'm just glad you're here to, you know, hold up your end of the bargain and make the show work. So, you know, if you don't That's do very well, we will definitely kill you. Moving on, um, can you introduce yourself across the table with the charming glasses?
0: I am Arthur Gordon. I am a man of few words. That is all. That is all.
3: (laughs) Much like the film Across the Table again. What would you say?
1: My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm 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 sorry, gentlemen. I was born with a disfigurement that makes my face do the same thing the sun does. You cannot look directly at me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) My name is Dustin Sells, and I can't remember if it was my neighbor or your neighbor that drowned me in the pool. It was my neighbor, Rennie. It was my neighbor. If he's a fat kid, Rennie the fat kid was was my neighbor. He lied to my mom about it. Yeah, the movie is Upstream Color. It's about that weird. Um, We're going to talk all about that. We're finishing out our month of anti-trash in honor of that institution we like to call Oscar. And so we are doing anti-trash art films that make a little genre connection. This time it's a science fiction film called Upstream (laughs) Color. We need to do a synopsis um, as much as I, I cannot even imagine what sort of synopsis this has. Voice the cinema. Your work is cut out for you, sir. Do not let us down.
0: identity and woman as together. Illusion they entangled in fragments of life and organism. Man becomes and (coughs) lives are struggled to assemble to loose the cycle of wreck drawn.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was without a doubt. The funniest thing you have ever done. It It took me about a sentence to figure out what he was doing. Oh. Uh, you want to try that once more? <laughs> Maybe, let me fix the balance. <clears throat>
3: wait, wait, wait. The worms.
1: Okay, okay. I got Okay, I gotta eat some solid
0: food. Now you can read. it again. Go ahead. <laughs> A man and woman are drawn together, ageless, entangled in the life cycle of an ageless organism. Identity becomes an illusion as they struggle to assemble. The Loose Fragments of Wrecked Lives. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. And this ice water is delicious. Uh, we are going to be talking about the movie Upstream Color. This is a analysis show, not a review show. I think it's safe to say spoilers are not a problem in this case. Nope. But we're going to generally avoid them in the review portion, which is going to be very, very short and sweet, before moving to our analysis. So, first of all, just around the table... Thumbs up, thumbs down does it work? does it not work? I ask you Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well I'm gonna I'm gonna just go ahead
1: and let you behind the curtain ramble inside baseball real fast. Uh, listener, I, I do this thing on the show where I do two pages of notes. On the first page I take my just kind of free form feel as right as I feel while I'm watching the film on the other side uh, I put my, my theory on the film. And for upstream color, I wrote the following things Looks great Had to look up the plot Not good I think I hate art Does that make me a fascist? A Stalinist? Fascist Gets better post meat cute And then I stopped taking notes So after the meat cute, I think this film really won me over um, But the only reason I was able to even remotely engage with this film Is because I was, after the prologue, was like The hell with it, I'm pausing this And I'm reading the summary on Wikipedia which is lengthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went ahead and read that, and I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Let's go ahead and give this another try. Because I got pissed. I'm going to be honest with you. I was actively annoyed with this film after the opening sequence. Uh, but once you get past uh, this wall of pretentiousness, I think the film is built up around itself. And I think that's very deliberate. Uh, I, I think Shane Carruth thinks he's a genius. That being said, there is a really good film in here. It's just goes out of its way to keep you at arm's length. Does it work? Yes, tentatively. Does it work for everyone? Not a chance at hell. No, no way. No way. Oh, no no way. As with most films we've talked about in <clears throat> this marathon, this is for pro film watchers only. It's
3: polarizing selection. And even all.
1: then, you're, there's probably a lot of people who are still going to hate this film. And I don't hate it as much as some films we've done for this marathon. But, um... Man... It, I, I I struggled for probably 20 minutes with this movie but again once I, I feel like once the thrust of the narrative once it really opens itself up once it, it lets that emotional element come in once you kind of have something that human drama to h- attach things to I think it really becomes a really powerful film with a lot of really interesting pieces that are moving that are fun to watch and, and fun to experience
3: thank you for that Mr. Dalton Stewart Mr. Arthur Gordon what say you?
0: Uh, I'll preface this by saying, uh, the guy on IMDB, their top review that they had on their front page for IMDB, gave this a one out of ten and crapped all over it. Wow. Because he didn't understand what it is. And I think that's, you know, one of those things going in if you expect some sort of story film. Cohesiveness. Yeah, this is a Gardner. classic narrative where they this this makes you know, this makes the tree of life look like a classical Hollywood film it's
1: certainly more dense than that and that's a film I don't care for
0: but fundamentally I think this is editing cinematography shot composition scoring sound editing I think this film is done perfectly to a T
1: you can tell he's a big big old Terrence
0: Mountain fan yeah oh yeah it is is stamp I mean the whispered dialogue yeah Yeah. I, I think I would have been better served by watching this in the theater where I could focus better because I wanted to doze off the parts and I kept getting distracted. And, I was going to lie. I, I mean, did doze off. I, wa- I watched it in the, two halves. Yeah, I did too. I mean, there's nothing really here to hook you to keep you no. invested. I Fair yeah, And so fair. I think I would have been better served in a theater. Yeah, so I'm definitely. pretty indifferent towards the events of the film.
3: Fair play indeed, sir. Thank you for that. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you?
2: Uh, um, I've got a love hate with this film. This is... Um, this is an indie filmmaker who, who does seem pretentious, but at the same time, I feel like Mr. Caruth. pretentious yes, and I don't know if you can use this in the same sense. he's pretentious yet humbles himself as an indie filmmaker, um, to some degree, I think. Um, and I think what Arthur said is, is pretty spot on. I thought the score in this movie was phenomenal. I thought the cinematography was masterful. It doesn't put together a very cohesive puzzle in the end, although you do have a lot of pieces that are really fun to look at. And I think overall it's a a great piece of art cinema. Uh, But again, absolutely. This is like even more so than Only God Forgives. This is pro-watchers. There's going to be such a minuscule number of people who are actually going to fall in love with this movie. I didn't fall in love with this movie and I liked Shane Cruise uh, primer and I thought I liked a lot of things about this movie but at the end it's just kind of movie that I'm like wow you had a bold vision and I think you got a little too muddled in your own idea i your own ideas to, to create a picture that was whole and full
1: it's exceptionally opaque for sure yes well dustin sells smartest guy in the room <laughs> fartziest guy in the room <laughs>
0: that's true he had beans
1: you, 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 you're the, the high, high, high bro dude. You like, you like weird yeah. Russian things no one's heard of. This Who is, this
0: is not as viewing for you, right? Yeah. So.
1: What, what do you think? Uh,
0: yeah, you've never seen this, Craig. <laughs> I, I,
3: had never seen this. It was the first view for this week. I, I'm somewhere between like and love. Okay. Um. That cl- checks out. Closer to like than love. Okay. Um, I would say. Uh, I really like Primer a lot. hmm I don't mind a movie that holds you at arm's length. Um. You know, I thought about some Jean Vigo uh, documentaries I'd seen. Jean Vigo's a French filmmaker from the 1930s. Uh,
1: Keep going. I just want to let you know I had something to say at some point. So, oh, that's cute to me when you have a chance.
3: And, and so those, those sort of things don't really put me off necessarily. Uh, very pretty. Very, very beautifully shot. Um, but the, the mystery itself, I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't have kept watching the pretty imagery if it wasn't so baffling. I, I that somehow that active viewing was uh, made made the experience more enjoyable for me because I kept thinking to myself what on earth is happening here, and those secrets were not being told, and that I, I really enjoyed this just idea that the, there's no explanation of when they're brewing the, the worm stuff with diet cola to uh, do some sort of crazy you know hand mirror hand jive kickboxing thing that was really cool and no explanation and how another version of that ends up being some sort of mind control again no explanation uh maybe no explanation needed maybe lots of explanation needed but i i found myself being actively engaged in something that was really really pretty and sonically really really interesting uh there were bits in there that i didn't care about i I really liked the sampler guy um the pig farm dude uh and the idea of what he was doing his his you know link in the chain of the life of this organism that was interesting but i did feel like we spent way too much time watching him do strange erotic foley with rocks and pipes yes oh I my agree. god <laughs> so long it just it, that that was that was the real weakness i thought is that it was one of those moments where it felt like somebody said this about Andre tarkovsky um, is he punishes his audience for 20 minutes with boredom and then after that, rewards them by finally doing something interesting. And it seemed like that punishment kind of happened midway in the film uh, this time, which is probably what keeps me from going on to that full-out love uh, of this particular movie. But I like it. I like Primer. Um, don't hate it, but it's... I mean, I wouldn't recommend it very No. Often. Well, I think we, we've talked enough about kind of how the movie works. You have an idea now whether or not you want to go ahead and watch and whether or not you care about being spoiled. I will again say likely spoilers are not going to affect you in a negative way with this particular <laughs> film in fact spoilers may help you they helped me I
2: think you I honestly seriously think reading the Wikipedia summary beforehand or in the midst of the movie will help you tremendously I did honestly I did the same thing during Primer the first time and I understood the movie better this is definitely a. I, I would recommend
3: people do that honestly I watched it cold it was alright I read after he's we he's just smarter than everyone <laughs> Did it help reading it afterwards? It did. It did. It brings I mean, some
1: clarity to this. Yeah, it
3: did. It's like, oh yeah, well that makes sense now.
1: Okay. <clears throat> so, so Arthur, what about you? You've what? been pretty quiet. Did you uh, Did you try to figure out what this movie was about going on uh, after you got finished watching it? Did you think I had no idea what just happened?
0: I read the basic synopsis like on IMDb. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think to go to Wikipedia for some reason. Yeah, it has a, a lengthy plot. Side Very lengthy. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I recommend it. Normally I would have. But I just Detailed. I didn't think
3: about it. Hmm. It's a handy help, it really is, especially in this situation. Let's move on, and let's do some analysis, let's break this thing down, let's get some readings, let's offer some um, idea of what's happening with this film. Why on earth would Shane Carruth make such a thing? Oh, tourism may rear its ugly head yet again. So we move into our analysis, and I ask you, Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you? You know,
2: Dustin, I don't really have a whole lot to say on this movie. It was a uh, very, it's a very layered movie but that honestly, before I could bring in the most accurate analysis, I seriously think I need to watch it again. Mm. There's a lot going on in this movie, um, a lot. I need to get in Shane Crude's head to understand exactly what's going on. Um, that, that said, I have a little bit, just to kind of talk about, I think one of the big, or uh, overarching themes here is man's connectivity towards nature, um, and how things go awry in nature, it does impact the human element and, and obviously this movie is doing it in a very symbolic way with the the connectivity between the two people and the pigs uh, and to show that when the pigs went through a trauma and such that humans also kind of were in an emotional state Notice when the pigs were in yeah. trouble mm-hmm. uh, what's her I'm sorry what's her name Chris Chris. Uh, Chris was that was when she had those moments where she forgot exactly what she was doing um, and I think uh, over throughout the course of the movie, you're looking at a, a lot of instances where Shane is saying, uh, or trying to, to draw a connection between the human characters and the, the pigs in which they transferred the worms into, and that there is a kind of a telepathic connection that I think is symbolic of big picture human connection to nature and animals. Well, I
1: think that really checks out, uh, Caleb, because, I mean, the book that is central to the plot of this film was written by. You know Henry David Thoreau, but I think that certainly checks out just based on that that book playing so heavily into in the the narrative of this film. I think there's that there's something to that.
2: Yeah, and and the, and the literature nerd to me was going crazy when they had the Thoreau pop up, and I thought maybe it would just be a wink wink at first, but no, it pops up like eight or nine times at least. Mm. Um, so I think it's very. I think you're right. I think we were definitely meant to draw those connections. It's between, a touchstone uh, between the human and element. So um, I don't really know where that theme resolves. How that resolves exactly, other than to say ah. that. Um, Piglets are cute. Piglets are cute. And, and what we do as human beings are, d- does affect mm-hmm. nature. Um, I know that's something really new, but I think Shankaruth is exploring it in some very, very interesting ways that, again, I haven't fully wrapped my mind around.
3: Thank you for that, Caleb. No, I think you're absolutely right on. I mean, the, the connection between humans and nature and the lack of disconnect and I, I think is a huge section of what's going on in this particular film. Um, Arthur Gordon, what
0: say you, sir? Um, well, the first thing I'd like to say is that I don't necessarily know that you have to get in Caruth's head to get any sort of meaning out of this film. This film, and art cinema in general, usually works much as like a painting. And so it's reflexive of what you, what you get out of it. What you bring to it is what you're going to get out of it, in a lot of ways. So, um, so
2: in, this, in this case, is one of those instances where the movie's going to tell us a lot more about ourselves. Yeah. Does, uh, it's Room 237 do... in that way, right? Yeah. Right. Okay.
0: Gotcha. Um, with, with Upstream Color, for me... It's and may kind of tie in a little bit with what Caleb's saying. It's uh, this this idea of these intertwining cycles, these intertwining circles of life. And Kruth gives us a clue here, I think, with the uh, in the mise en scène of these recycle bins. We see recycle bins several times, and uh, with that we hold the whole cycle right: recycle, renew, reuse. Okay. And so we see it a couple times blatantly, and uh, and so the story I think reminds us that for life, it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust, return from whence we came. And we're all interconnected, we're all intertwined in some way. Our bodies will be placed in the ground, will deteriorate, and we'll become nourishment for other creatures and plants, and thus we become entwined with different life forces and with nature. And I think the film tends to lend itself heavily to ideas of uh, reincarnation or this ever, I mean, this kind of immortality that we'll have, you know, Blinding in some ways. It's, yeah.
1: it's like he went to school for this I, Right, yeah, he
0: went to <laughs> But there, to me, there's this idea of the Star Wars-ian force that connects everything and runs through everything on the planet. And I think, you know, I think this is a movie, depending on where you come from and what you bring to the table, you're going to get something completely different. I, th- I think the, the symbology
2: of the chains that we were harking on a little earlier also ties into yeah, that. Th- that is definitely. excellent. Wow. Return Turned
1: innocence was the first thing that came to my head while Arthur was talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seriously, that was good. That Man, was fantastic. Spot on. Very, God, you're awesome.
3: Very, very brilliant. Well played, sir. Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, yeah, good luck.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had fun following <laughs> that. Um, well, something I thought about in this film a lot that I keyed in on during that first that opening segment was these ideas of control and power and exploitation how these things exist in the world and, and, and that was kind of what stuck with me while we watched this uh, and I think that really formulated my viewing but what I kind of took away from it was uh, this idea of, of the worm as an uh, expression for the cycle of abuse right this, uh, this idea that The worm represents something bigger than what it is. People find themselves in uh, abusive situations, uh, abusive relationships. This could be something uh, as small and and micro-sociological as domestic violence, or something as macro-sociological as uh, colonialism. So I I feel like, for me, that's what the worm kind of ended up representing um, through the thief, who is the actual uh, exploitive person in the story through Chris and Jeff, who are the exploited, and through the sampler, as he's credited, uh, who is just kind of this this nascent observer who who doesn't really take an active role, I'd say, but also at the same time, uh, you know, the, the old adage, the thing that's more evil uh, than evil is the indifference of good men. Uh, that kind of comes into play here a little bit. But, uh, but you know, it can be, it, it doesn't have to be, uh, physical abuse, although that certainly comes in, I think domestic violence is really, uh, maybe not intentionally, but I think is very vividly brought to the surface. Just the nature of the scenes with Chris and the thief. This very kind of pedagogical. This very talking down to, like you would talk to a small child, which is, you know, something you see a lot in domestic violence. Is is this uh, is the abuser takes on this authoritarian presence in which the uh, the abuser is treated like a child. And I think you see a lot of that in the scenes with, where Chris is being, uh, taking part in this weird hypno-psychosis uh, with the thief. And that, that, for me, was really what this was, ended up being about, was somebody rebuilding their life after having overcome uh, some sort of abuse. For, for Chris, it, it took on something amongst the forms of domestic violence. But for Jeff, who thinks he was a drug addict, uh, and may have been... Uh, in reality, I, that was the abuse that I saw. There was the uh, substance abuse, and this how you know that cycle of uh, of addiction can can upend your life, and, and how difficult it is to re- repair things after that. So that was really for me part of what kept this film watchable. Was once we get that human element of Chris and Jeff together, and we really get time to sit with what has happened to them, what has been done to them, and really get to think about it. That was uh, what The Worm ended up representing and, and made this film infinitely more watchable for me.
3: Dalton, oftentimes I have an inkling of where you're going to go sociologically with the reading. Mm-hmm. Not this time. Well played, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. Very, very well played. Yeah, sometimes
1: played. it's a little bit more obvious than others, especially with mm-hmm. a film like The Act of Killing.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's not like I didn't see it coming because you're reaching. I think you're totally there, and so I, I really appreciate that. I think it's pretty fantastic. Thanks, man. Uh, What I would offer uh, in reading this, it kind of connects to some of what we're talking about already. And again, some of the things that we see, uh, props that are used, mise en scene, that we experience. uh, This idea of the chains seemed to be very crucial to me. Because chains do two things. They hold things together, and they also are sources of bondage. And it seems to me that that's kind of the major crux, you know, of Mm -hmm. where this is going. This is tying into some things that Arthur has said and also that Caleb has said uh, tonight already. Uh, this idea that uh, we are absolutely interconnected. Our experiences are interconnected. And of course, what, what Jeff and Chris go through is a uh, a hyper-connectivity uh, because of their exposure to this worm organism. And so they are hyper-connected to one another because they're connected to these pigs. In fact, they may not actually be connected to one another at all. They may only be
1: Can- the- connected to each other because the pigs are connected to each other. It's something
3: I thought about that
1: Really makes this more interesting.
3: I mean, it is kind of bizarre, you know, the way that bedroom scene ends up in the pigsty. Are the pigs connected to each other because of them, or are they connected to each other because of the pigs? I don't know. <laughs> and, and of course, um, the sampler to an extent is also connected. He has some sort of psychic connection. I don't know if he's kept his worm. I, I really don't know what's happened there. You know, the worm goes to this you know three stage cycle: the the orchid, the pig, back to human, um, cycling around and around to and go, and again this universe in which we live um, there's, a, um, there's a spirituality here but it's not really a, uh, a theistic sort of spirituality, it is a materialistic spirituality in this idea of just the interconnectedness of all things, uh, this, this small microorganism and these complex human relationships obviously the thief is depending on this orchid for this economic interest and then there's this exploitative aspect and then also the economic interests of the sampler because he's producing records for quinoa records which is just a bizarre name in the quinoa valley did you notice all this you know names of the places where the pig farm is
1: i saw that and i figured it meant something and i didn't give a shit
3: well quinoa's just a weird grain that david lynch likes a lot um but that's all i really know about that there's a there's an extra on inland empire where he talks about how to make quinoa it is bizarre (laughs) it's like david lynch giving rice cooking instructions
0: interesting so there there's all
3: again this this whole idea uh, of connectivity, uh, but the connectivity the connective tissue of life is also a chain of bondage that limits our ability to choose uh, our choices are limited because of of course the very first thing that happens is that the two people who drink the coca-cola stewed worms, they are not really in control of themselves, or rather one's in control of the other person, right? It's a source of bondage, it's a source of control. Then when the thief uses the worm to enslave uh Chris, she is no longer in control, and she has to obey his every whim and every command. And even when the worm moves in the pig, they're not really free to do what they want to do. They're doing what the pigs want to do, or the pigs doing what they want to do. Is is anyone really doing what they want to do? And when they finally seek justice, they only are able to get justice on the sampler, not on the thief who exploited mm-hmm. them. And so their ability to get justice is limited by the material circumstances of their life. They're bound by their limited purview because the connectivity that which they can see is limited in scope. You can't see it all. Which I, I just really made me think. Uh, I mean, because as far as I know,
1: the sampler is the thief. Which shows how limited their perspective on things is. And I feel like accidentally might tie back into my analysis because when you find yourself uh, when, when these cycles of, of exploitation take place when these cycles of control and abuse take place you really have a limited view of things when you, when you find yourself
3: in the midst of it you don't get that full picture that an outsider gets absolutely and I mean that, that's part of the problem is that the limitations of experience mm-hmm. the limitations of your circumstances prevent your ability to see the fullness of that interconnectivity we do get a degree of objectivity in this movie that is very confusing we talked about the subjectivity of the two characters of be experience yeah. But we don't understand what's going on because they don't understand but we, even though we see more than we do we only see enough to know that there's a lot of stuff going on yeah and that nobody knows really to the greatest extent what is going on and and just how connected, how disconnected uh, we are in our experience. And so it really is, I I think it is this sort of maddening um, and frustrating view of just, you know, the exige- existential crisis of humanity, which is that we're very, very connected to one another these amazingly spiritual moments where we feel like we've known each other our whole lives. we shared some of the same experiences. It's funny to me. I've had conversations with my wife, and I go, oh, wait, you weren't there then, even though you feel like you've been with me always. Mm-hmm. But we, we've totally had those kind of conversations. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you don't know this. Probably yeah. going to steal that from you. Because, well, I, I, I <laughs> not It's not a line. No, I mean no, really, I know. You know, I mean, I've been married nearly 13 years. I mean, it's, it's it's a thing where you just, you fail to realize, oh yeah, there was before you. So there there is completely this idea uh, of this connectivity that we have. But there's also this opaqueness to where there is no understanding. And you are totally limited in your choices in that you are not able to do everything you think you could do. And everything that seems so clear and open, if you just step, step back a little bit further, you'd realize... You really didn't have any option in the matter at all. And that is a conundrum, again, of of human existence. And I think it's it's a wrestling uh, with all of that. And that's why it's a valuable film, I think. And that's the analysis I would bring. Well, I'd say that's a discussion. That is a discussion. And I think it's a fine film. I think it's worth your time. um, But it's not necessarily up in your wheelhouse. I would say this. If you hang out with people, and the people that you hang out with have mentioned this movie... It's probably a possibility to check. If the first time you've ever heard about Upstream Color is a conversation that we had that happened to come through your generic media-playing device, whatever it may be, Mm -mm. no, run away. Run far away. Our conversation will be far more interesting than what you experience. Yeah, you won't, you won't have fun with this one. Well, I think this is going to be a very difficult dilemma for us as we move to our next section, which is when we begin to ask the question then, because we seem to be very engaged with this film on certain levels, though we have problems. So I'm very excited to hear what you're going to say when I ask the question, shelf or trash. And then also, I'm always excited to hear what you're going to say else or instead as well. But I think the shelf or trash dilemma um, should present some very, very interesting discussion. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon,
0: what say you? I'm going to be pretty pretty blunt here. It's going to be trash. Yeah? It's not necessarily because it's a bad film. It's more of the fact, and it goes back to Only God Forgives. No one, I I don't know anybody I can recommend this film to. Mm Mm-hmm and so it's not going to go on my shelf because I will never watch it again. Yeah. And it's not because it's a bad film. It's just something I'm not interested in. Uh, Instead, I would suggest, as we've been talking about Tree of Life, I like Tree of Life a lot more. I like Days of the Heaven a lot more, but I think Tree of Life is more similar to what's happening here. For sure. Um, No doubt. Thematically. I would also suggest uh, another one of the Academy Award-nominated documentaries, Mm -hmm. Cutie and the Boxer, which I just recently watched, uh, which deals a lot with... uh, kind of anxieties of relationships and I think that kind of plays in a little bit with Carruth's narrative uh, in in the end. I'd also say Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain which deals with these intertwining narratives and reincarnation and plants plants, and there's a tree involved. There is that. And finally, a little off the cuff, I'd say you watch uh, Vertigo which deals with spirals and cycles and these circles and in his narrative. And, 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 yeah.
3: No, I know that. I mean, I know what you're saying. I think there is something there, and it's a lot more classic. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you like the idea of this movie, but don't want to watch the movie that we described as you know <laughs> baffling, bananas, crazy, then watch Vertigo. Yeah. I think it's fair. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. That's Caleb right. Masters, what's say you? Well, Arthur took a couple of mine. Look at get your back.
2: <laughs> tree of Life and the Fountain, and I, and I'm just going to go ahead and say the Fountain again because I love love that movie, and I don't think it gets enough credit or love. Outside of uh, The Tree of Life and the Fountain, which Arthur also recommended, uh, I've got to say, go with Shane Creed's other work, The Pr- uh, Primer. And the reason I say it is because I think, this, uh, it, despite the fact that it's a very different film, a very different type of film, I, I think it's actually more accessible than this movie, although it's very dense, and as we mentioned, you know, it's a puzzle. So check it out. I think it's, where, especially if you're into science fiction, not even just the the, the the as a story mechanism or genre, but actually as a mechanical device. Talking hard
1: sci-fi, hard sci-fi, yeah. Yes. Where the actual implementation of the science comes into play. Yes, very much so. I I, I think the difference we come come to here is that uh, Primer is dense where Upstream Color is opaque.
2: Yes, that that's actually a great great way to put it. Um, other than that, just because we talked about the interconnectivity and the circle of life and things like that, I got to recommend Avatar and Lion King.
3: So I say go ahead and
2: stream it for those of you folks who are curious about this movie. Um, but I think, honestly, if you're curious about it, it, means you've heard of it. If you've heard of it, that means you run in certain circles. And if you run in certain circles, it's worth your
1: curiosity. Will you like it? I can't make any guarantees. Mr. Donald Stewart, what say you, sir? I would say just because you run in circles that mean you've heard of this film doesn't necessarily mean you should check it out i think if you listen to this conversation you should know yourself well enough to know whether or not you're going to want to watch this film uh don't watch this film if you don't think you have any interest in
3: it if you don't know yourself well enough get in therapy
1: know thyself that being said i really did not expect to like this film at all i was fully prepared to berate this film the entire time we discussed it and i ended up liking it quite a bit so uh what do i know But but I think I think Caleb is onto something. If you are in circles where you know you you're you're hanging out with film buffs, you consider yourself a film buff, uh, maybe broaden your horizons. But at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Caleb and say stream it. It's definitely not for everybody. I definitely don't think it's an essential. Uh, Else or or this you know else slash instead since uh, I say stream it, Um, go with Moon. Duncan Jones directorial debut, which I think is a a much better science fiction film. Um, yeah, maybe. A much better, just capital S, capital F sci fi film, but I also think a much more accessible art film. Yeah. So uh, there's that. Also, it's got Kevin Spacey being a cute little computer. And it's got Sam Rockwell, who is, uh, free will listeners will know, an actor I consider the most underrated uh, actor working today. That's fair. Dustin Sells, what's your final verdict on this uh, opaque uh, turn of an art? Thing. I don't know. I was
3: trying to be funny. I'm not good at it. <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I really I really tried actively to hate it. I did too, be, because I tend to like everything in general.
1: That's true. No, it's not. You tend to like everything with a brain.
3: Exactly, and I, and I'm like I, I don't want to be the guy that just because it's difficult I dig it, and and so and I was being very intentional about being really critical about the movie, and I really ended up liking it a lot. Again, I'm probably closer to like than love, but I think it's shelfable for me. I'm probably the only shelfer uh, here today, but uh, that's all right with me. And what I would say, what else you should watch, is I'm thinking if you're into this, you are probably ready to free yourself from narrative altogether, and uh, have some fun experiments in just good old-fashioned experimental cinema. And the name Brackage has already come up this evening, and I want to recommend Dante's Four Quartets. And there's a collected edition of a lot of bracket shorts are all relatively short mm-hmm. uh, check those things out also I would say Jean Vigo you need to get the Jean Vigo um, set you just need to take a look at all of that and really look at a film that's a very different kind of film that's very dreamy and poetic You look at Zero to Conduit and finally uh, a Louis Bunuel film which may be close to my favorite Bunuel film during his Mexican period when which he has often been you know Besmirched and thought ill of. But look at Los Olvidados, which is the Forgotten Ones, uh, sometimes subtitled The Damned Ones. Um, but it's about a bunch of street kids in uh, Mexico City. And there are some moments in that that are really kind of wonderful. It's more of a classical narrative. Um, but take a look at those sort of things and uh, broaden your horizons if um, this is something that you enjoy. Those would be my else's. Dustin just said a
1: lot of smart things, so let's go to something stupid. Social media.
3: Social media. (laughs) Guys, tell me things about social media. I beg you, Arthur. you have things to say about that? Yeah.
0: Well, first, I just want to announce, I don't think I put it on the show yet, uh, but you can now find us on Stitcher. We are on Stitcher This is an Stitcher alternative internet to, radio To iTunes If you're not a fan of iTunes or Yes Apple. for you
1: plebeians Who own Android devices You too can listen To the Good Trash Genrecast Not that I want you to
0: So if you want You can check us out On Stitcher Also if you're not On any of the social media That we were about To talk about You can email us uh, Goodtrashgenrecast At gmail.com uh, Finally you can find us On Facebook uh, Facebook.com Forward slash Good Trash Cast. We do have some feedback um, Randall Bay says Our last couple of shows Were great
1: Oh, thanks, Randall. He's um, the only one that listens. Yeah,
0: apparently. Thanks, Randall. No, Brigham listens. Brigham always listens. That's true. Uh, Brigham posted several links on our wall. One about a Space Jam sequel, I believe, starring LeBron. Oh,
1: oh God, yeah, I saw that. I've heard uh, it's a hoax. Is it? I've since since that was news. I've heard it's a okay. hoax. That oh, okay, Randall Randall check that Kevin directed. It did
0: happen though. Uh, uh, it did whatever, happen, right? mm-hmm. Yeah. We try to forget things. Mm. Uh, he also made a post about a Penn and Teller film called Tim's Vermeer, uh, which will be at AMC on March 14th. Oh. I'm not too aware what that will be but maybe along the lines of their old Showtime show
1: I heard uh, about it on the uh, Film Spotting uh, Streaming Video Unit podcast mm-hmm. recently so I don't know a whole lot about it but yeah it's it's a documentary of some sort
0: okay and uh, the last thing he also he just mentioned and obviously you know it might come up a little later but about the passing of Harold Ramis this mm-hmm. week now uh, another been tragic been t- loss. It's been a tough it's year to tell you we've lost a lot of legends this year, really. Uh-huh. And it's only February. I know. That's the, that's the sad thing. It's a really big Twinkie. Now there's there's one, <laughs> there is one more thing uh, that uh, that came up. Brigham played our video game game. From uh, the Barbarian Sound Studio show, oh, yeah. And our, our, our off the cuff video, which game was game. a lot of fun. Was it fun was. And I've got I've got one more before before Brigham. I'm gonna put mine. Okay, I was thinking more about this Legend of Zelda thing. Uh huh. All right, Legend of Zelda. Okay. Directed by Joe Wright.
2: Oh yeah. Okay. okay.
0: So it's going to be a combination of Atonement or Pride and Prejudice and Hannah. Yes. A mixture. Uh, that's I'm good. I'm in. Already. Yeah, With James st- Magibald playing Link. Oh! Got that oh. Got that stateliness, but yeah. also that
1: hyperkinetic. Yeah, yeah. Can, the, 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 obviously, obviously, the Dust Brothers are going to do the score, Oh, right? well, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. But my
2: question for you, sir, Dust is... Dust uh, Are
1: we going to see Link speak in this
2: movie or not? I don't know.
3: Why not? Oh, I mean, yeah, you know, this guy's. If he's James McAvoy,
0: you need to have him. <laughs> but back to Brigham because our dear listener is more important, so we say the best for last. Brigham yes. mentions two two adaptations, and I think everybody will be on board with these. The first one is a Max Payne film, a better one, a, a better one, directed by none other. Then the rule breaker, David Fincher. Yeah, uh,
3: <laughs> man, it's a detective story. It's right up his alley. Right? We, we appreciate a violation there. Yeah,
1: well, I'm the only one that's uh, bound by to the rule.
0: The other is a dead space film. Okay, directed by Sir Guillermo del Toro.
1: Oh, that that would be good. That is right up his alley because insects and body horror and monsters. <laughs> those are three things he loves. I would, I would, I rapidly yes.
0: pay to see both of those films multiple times. Yeah. So I'm on board, Brigham. Yeah. I'm on board with this. So, call, bud. Make it so. And that is all we've got coming from the facey Facebook this week.
3: Is there a second means of social media that you can address, sir? Dustin, the social media
1: before you is somehow special. When you post to it, you feel revived and full of energy. It is better than any socialization you've ever experienced. <laughs> tweet now. Each tweet is better than the last Leaving you with a desire To have To post another Tweet now The next tweet Must be earned And I'm going to tell you how Focus closely on my instructions I will ask you to use a hashtag
0: <laughs> Ladies
1: and gentlemen You can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter At good underscore trash
3: Are there words said On the Twitter? No
1: And here's what I've decided to do I'm getting really tired Of Arthur getting all the feedback It makes me grumpy uh, I'm very <laughs> sensitive uh, listener, and because I moderate the Twitter, I take it as a personal affront to me. Uh, that meaning you don't like me. So here's what I've decided to do: I'm going to read. Nobody likes you. Likes. I know. I'm going to read the two things we have coming in the Twitter, other than tweets and uh, retweets and favorites, which there were a couple of. Thanks for that. So I'm going to read the tweet. Two things we do have, and then I'm going to introduce a new segment. Uh, first <laughs> of all, uh, we have Brigham uh, tweeted to the Good Trash Genre Cast and all of us individually. Diane. 11.30 a.m., February 24th. I am entering the town of Twin Peaks. Thank you for that, Brigham Cole.
3: I was in a hotel room when I received
1: that information.
3: <laughs> it made my day. I was
1: at work. It still made my day. Uh, also, the uh, Deus Ex Media podcast uh, did us as a uh, follow Friday. So thanks oh, for that, cool. guys. I right. awesome. uh, So where is here's the So here's the new thing we're going to do. I'm tired of you guys not giving me feedback to read during our Twitter segment. So when you don't give me enough feedback, I'm going to subject you to our new segment, This Week in Nick Sanford. Let's give it a go, shall we? Oh, no. (laughs) First up, Dr. Stone, I don't think you understand the gravity of this situation. Not George Clooney's character, unfortunately. Sad face, sad face. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the beach. Hashtag things you won't hear in Godzilla 2014. <laughs> I'm having such a great day today. Hashtag things you won't hear in Godzilla 2014. <laughs> and that's been This Week in Nick Sanford.
3: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. For- that
1: (laughs) you're welcome so that's our new segment and if you don't want that segment anymore
2: give me more feedback you're welcome so it's only a fallback if you don't have any
3: tweets pretty much okay gotcha so that's, that is a threat, listeners. And that is a threat. Yes, Caleb, you're leaving. Your duty from this point forward is to tweet you guys. It's a tweet feedback, so that never happens again. And tell
1: your friends in the uh, that hot place you're going to. Well, let's move
3: on to our game. We have a game that we wish to play to keep the conversation going, talking about things related directly to Upstream Color, in which we think about this movie as probably something where the experience is actually greater than what you actually see on screen. That it's there's something going on inside your brain. That is much more interesting than maybe what's going on in the actual pixels that you're viewing on your television set.
1: But to open the discussion up, we also offer offer the alternative. Sometimes... What's going on with the pixels on your television set is more than what's going on in your brain, rather, I should say. Does that make sense? You,
3: your first viewing of something maybe really kind of mundane, yes? Yeah. But it's yeah. something fantastic. No. The film screen.
1: itself is fantastic, yeah. But what, what you're seeing is fantastic, but your actual experience of watching it was kind of... Kind weird. of men- so.
3: Exactly. So that is the question I want to ask. Tell me about your met experiences of wonderful things and your amazing experiences of things that are just kind of really meh in an objective kind of way I ask you first Mr. Arthur Gordon what's All
0: alright I'm gonna well the first one's gonna be a rule break but uh, because I don't think it's a bad movie at all but I think there's a great experience involved at the theater and that's 12 Years a Slave Uh, I saw this for the first time this past weekend and there were moments where I I was on the edge of my seat Mm -hmm. in awe of the filmmaking taking place not the story not the drama but the way this film was put together and for me I had been in the theater for 12 hours and to be on the edge of my seat oh yeah you did that marathon thing with this movie I think speaks to the power of that film and that's just the experience there it's a goodie right oh yeah I, I, I thought it was a great film if it wins
2: it, let's put it this way if it wins best picture I don't think it was going to be disappointed
0: does it
1: make you want to reevaluate your top uh, 10 20
2: 2013
0: definitely I would yeah. definitely do that um, but more into our game I think just I'll kind of start more recently and move backwards American Hustle I think was a great experience film because it is so abrasively in your face funny mm-hmm. yeah. that you don't catch the flaws I think until you've had time to think about and it
1: and they are resounding and yeah. monstrous starting that, with uh, Bradley Cooper's perm yes no 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 I've
2: you know, I've got to back you all the way on that because that movie initially as an experience I loved every second oh, yeah. of it but it wasn't until I, I Time to digest. Where I just seem to realize yeah. exactly what I what was and wrong. I will counter Walter that. Dash, you and I will counter that
0: with Wolf of Wall Street, which I think is abrasively funny and maybe plays a little long, like Dustin said. But I think it the themes and what it's doing are will resonate longer and more powerful than what American Hustle does because amen could, could not agree with you more uh, moving on just into some lesser good trash fair quote unquote lesser fair I would say Insidious was a great experience I was in a theater packed uh, to see that film and the energy was incredible uh, but I don't think Insidious itself is a great film it's I think not. it is very flawed it's very problematic it's a fun film don't get me wrong I like it I think it's a good fi- I think it's a fun film but there are problems, especially when they go into the ethereal world or whatever it is. I think there are problems there. And with the comedy uh, interludes that they try to do.
1: What's interesting, Arthur, that uh, that was also an experience that I picked. I had the exact opposite experience. Really? I was one of about five people in the theater. Ah. My group of four people I was with being the right... There, were, uh, there was a date there, and then there was me and my three friends. Yeah. And it was it's one of the most fun times I've ever had a movie theater. Yeah. So... I mean, that that film, I, I think, in, there's no in between. Yeah. You either need about a thousand people or five people. Yeah. We're
3: all by yourself. Because I saw it all by myself. And heebie-jeebie, heebie-jeebie. It was effective.
0: Another film that I really enjoyed as an experience, and it's not a great film, but it's Battle LA starring Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, that's a fun movie. I was so pumped when I watched that movie. I don't know why, but like the shaky cam was way too much and it's not a great film it's very stock characters it's very by the book sci-fi but I had a lot of fun watching that film and finally I'll I'll give us a reverse uh, of that idea and it's the Lego movie which I love I thought the Lego movie was a great movie but I saw there were maybe 20 people in the theater and this was a late night screening there were about 20 people in the theater nobody got it oh that's sad I was sitting there laughing like an idiot at everything that happened, and nobody else, and it sucked the energy out of the room. Oh, that's man, such a that's brilliant. So guys, I, thought I thought that there sounds was like, really awful. Partially, like, man, I'm the idiot guy that's laughing at everything. I'm that guy. But at no, the, but same you, but time, you, the film it's, is that good. The thing is, everyone else in the theater was being that guy.
2: You were the guy who got it. Yeah. yeah,
0: and so I don't. And that that's kind of that alternate experience where the Lego movie, I think, is one of the best. Is a great film. It's a great animated film. It's a great film in general. Uh, but the atmosphere in the room just killed it. That's unfortunate. And so, if there, the theater going bad. experience really can make it, yeah. make a break a movie. Oh yeah, definitely. So that's what I got for you guys.
1: Thank. I like that. Um, what do you say, Dalton Stewart? When we pitched to this game, the very first thing that came to mind for me is is single handedly one of my all time favorite theater going experiences. Uh, that is two. Let me rephrase it One okay film from a pretty good filmmaker and one pretty damn good film from a great filmmaker, and that is Grindhouse. Oh yeah Yeah. theatrical experience Of combining those two Okay and pretty damn good film Equal one great film That is the most fun I've ever had At the movie theater Uh, I saw it at a packed house On opening night In a very large uh, theater With uh, you know The kinds of people Who would go see A Robert Rodriguez Quentin Tarantino Double feature On opening night (laughs) That's a fun night It was amazing And it's the most fun I've ever had At the movie theater it is a great experience for two pretty okay films that, when put together with all the trim, uh, trimmings and all of the uh, side dishes, if you will, equal one fantastic uh, cinematic experience. Uh, I would also say a, a film that is not good, in the least bit... But I had just the darndest time watching it, and that was a a recent film, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, which is a steaming pile of a film that couldn't have been more fun to see in theaters. That scene where he throws the cow, man. Guys, there's cow throwing? Yes. Yes. A vampire throws a cow at Abe Lincoln. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It it makes the whole
2: movie. It really does. For those
1: of you who have already forgotten this film... I'm in. Because it's possible you've already forgotten this. It's a terrible movie, though. Abraham Lincoln does kung fu... With a wood axe. Yes. And kills vampires. Is some business. Go see it. Um, I just really it was a very small it was one of the smaller theaters at the uh, the Warren Theater in Moore, Oklahoma that they have, one of their small luxury theaters. Um and man it was just fun. There was about thirty people in there and everybody was in on the joke. Uh it almost like noon on a Sunday and everyone was drinking. It was a blast. <laughs> that's that's a good way yeah. to drink too. <laughs> Finally, I, I would say uh, a film that uh, it is a great film, and we're gonna bring Quentin Tarantino back into this. But my first viewing of it was not great, and it was Reservoir Dogs, and it was on uh, Spike TV when I was about <laughs> fourteen years old. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it, they were running it uncut for time, but they were still editing some of these stronger language moments. Uh, But it was with limited commercial interruption, so it was like, okay, there were things about it kind of evened out, being it being watched on TV, but I still watched it on TV uh, with commercials and the F-words taken out, which makes that movie really hard to watch. That ruins a Tarantino movie. Yeah. But, um, so that was not a great experience for that film. That still uh, remains one of my favorite films, and I go back and forth on whether or not it's still Tarantino's, like, undisputed best film, just because it's got that brashness of a a first-time filmmaker. Um, But yeah, that first experience was not good. Excellent. Thank you for that, Dalton
2: Stewart. What say you, Caleb Masters? I've got a few picks here. um, and Bear with me. Uh, I'll start off number one since we've already talked about some Best Picture nominees. Uh, I'm going to say this year's movie, uh, Gravity. And I do not want to say negative things about Gravity because I think it's a great movie. I think it's also a movie that is not... It's an incredible experience that the movie cannot possibly live up to if you have seen it in IMAX 3D. Um, in a packed house. I saw an IMAX 3D packed house at the Warren, and wow. Uh, the movie was great, and I think, you know, I guess there's some room for debate whether it deserves Best Picture nominee or not, but I think there's enough there to, to, to mark it as a great film. But the experience to that movie is so much greater than that movie could ever be. Uh, so I think it's a great movie that is there's something visceral and incredible When you see that movie in 3, the way it was intended to be made, on the biggest screen you can possibly get, that unfortunately, even if it's still a great movie, I don't... I haven't watched it on DVD yet, but I don't think it's going to live up to that experience that I had initially. Yeah,
1: you were meant to see it in a setting which mimics the infiniteness of space. Yes,
2: exactly. Um, Moving on, uh, next one. I hope I don't get shot for this one. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay. I love this movie. But you know what makes this movie great? It's not the movie itself. Two A.M. makes this movie great. Two A.M. with people. a room full of people who have already seen the movie. I'm and all in. Great. No, and you're right. It's, yeah. it's 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 and, and it's the cultural the pop culture experience of being able to quote the movie.
1: The first time you see it's cool. The fifth time you see it's amazing. It is yeah. exactly,
2: and it's always. I I have not. I have watched this movie with four or five people who have never seen it before. And Every time they they think it, they're like, "Oh, this is kind of funny," but they don't get it. But then I've also seen it with the same people after we've watched it again and again, and we start quoting it and scenarios where we all it's it's like an inside joke and you only get it if you've seen the movie and it's it's one of those experiences that i, I love
1: i don't want to talk to you no more you empty-headed animal food trough whopper i fart in your general direction your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of
2: elderberries um, moving on uh, you referenced Insidious which made pulled to my mind that the best horror movie experience I've ever had in a theater was undoubtedly Paranormal Activity 1 Full House Friday it opened and that was back when you had to demand in your theater so it was like everyone who was there really wanted to be there and even seeing the third one on the same opening night like I did with the first mm-hmm. one it just wasn't quite the same as that the first one everyone was feeding everybody um and it's just a great horror movie experience that I don't think you can get back in the home. And lastly, I'll hit this one quickly, uh, Black Dynamite, which is a mock of a black exploitation film, which is hilarious. But you know what? I watched that movie at 2 a.m. with a room full of guys in college. And every time I've sent movie since, it's not as funny. That's all I got, Dustin.
3: Well, thank you for that, Caleb. Um, my I want to give a couple of examples. First of all, just a really met experience of a fantastic movie that I knew was fantastic at the time. I was in high school. Uh, a couple friends and I got into a basement and we gathered around TV and we watched The Godfather. It was super good, but it was just it was in the basement. You were in a basement. The, yeah. You were in a basement. There's a lot of light coming in. I mean, I remember vividly the experience. I remember thinking this movie is really good, but. You know, the microwave was coming on, door was opening, you know, things like that were happening. And it was super not a good experience. A very weird experience I had. I grew up in a little town called Carnegie, Oklahoma, which is a uh, large Native American population. The Mm -hmm. Kiowa National Headquarters is there. And I went and saw the movie Geronimo. And every time white people died, there was cheering. (laughs) 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 Um, now i'll talk about midnight premieres i don't go to a lot of these because i'm old Uh, but in 1999 i was a senior in high school and i went and saw the phantom menace star wars episode one and bad movie lots of fun because people in weatherford oklahoma were in costume Mm -hmm. and it was amazing also, a uh, very, very similar experience. Midnight, when I caught um, The Deathly Hollows Part 1 in uh, the Warren Theater here in uh, the Oklahoma City, more metropolitan area. And there were people selling wands and in cloaks and whatnot and speaking in feigned British accents. <laughs> it was really ridiculous, but it was a lot of fun. Lastly, this is just a cinematic moment. I've shared this story before. Star Wars Episode Two. Uh, second week because episode one was quite the disappointment as a film though the experience itself was very much warranted I'm watching episode two in a very very crowded theater and with a bunch of Star Wars nerds who would already seen it once Yoda walks yep. in to fight Count Dooku yep. and everybody knows what's about to happen yep. applause begins before we even see Yoda people are yep. standing up in a movie theater and then it happens, and it was like I was at a football game. It was absolutely fantastic. Objectively horrible film. Oh yeah, horrible. I like yeah. the
2: prequels.
1: Don't shoot me. Three's okay. Three's pretty three's good. Okay, I'd yeah. actually say three's up there with uh, one in Return of the Jedi. It's no Empire Strikes Back, no, which is
3: it. which is the fold of my pudding because my cinematic experience at three was very meh. I just went saw the movie. It was fun. I mean, I liked it better than either of the other two, but as far mm-hmm. as what had happened to me in the theater, mm-hmm. it was not all that fun of an experience. For sure. So, you know, cinema, it's a thing. Um, and it's more than just you looking at a screen on your phone or at home or on your telly or in the theater. It's something it, transcend- transcendent. And there's a whole lot of circumstances that kind of plug into its transcendence. So that's There's a lot of variables here, man. It's very complex, sort of like Upstream Color.
1: I was going to say The Big Lebowski.
3: Oh, well, this is better. There's a lot of branches here, man. Mm -hmm. So, thank you for that, gentlemen. Let's move on and do what we always do. Let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. I hope you're all very, very fired up. Caleb Masters, are you fired up? I am very fired up. There's a lot going on this week. I'll
2: do it quickly since I've got a list. Uh, number one Oscars is on Sunday it's always, it's just always a lot of fun to play the guessing game and even though I get infuriated by the nominees and infuriated by the winners half the time it's just fun, have parties, it's a good time um, the next being uh, Breaking Bad the, the last eight episodes is now on Netflix, people if you've been waiting watch that last season the last eight episodes might be the best run of television I've ever seen, it's just really that damn good um, I've never been more destroyed by a TV show in my life Marvel's one shot All Hail the King uh, was on the Thor 2 DVD and this one unlike most of the other one shots I don't think really they don't really add anything to the mythos of what's going on this one does it's the longest one it stars Ben Kingsley's Trevor slash Mandarin uh, as he's in prison and there's some fun cameos and they actually it adds a little bit to the mythos of the
1: Marvel Universe has that been pirated to the internet yet? Uh, yes that's why I watched it at
2: uh, David Fincher I'm breaking the rule right now uh, again.
1: Only applies to me. You're allowed to. Um,
2: he is in talks to direct the Jobs movie that was scripted by um, another than Aaron Sorkin. Except Sorkin. Except he's already made that movie. Well, he made The Social Network, and this, and I think it'll be a very, very similar movie. But I don't know if you guys have heard the, the premise of this movie. It is going to be Steve Jobs in a room before three different live events. Like, so it's it's not going to be it, it fall. It's not going to be like the last Steve Jobs movie, where it chronicles his life. It's going to be before they launch the Mac. Oh, I don't remember what the second product is, and the last one's the iPod. And it's literally Steve Jobs and his comrades in a room before they launch a product, and that's it. Uh, lastly, cool. the one thing I'm really excited about, and I'm hoping cool. I can catch before I have to depart from Oklahoma City on Saturday, is uh, Hayao Miyazaki's final, well, what will be likely be his final film, The Wind Rises, has finally hit, had, it's, it's getting a wider release here in the US, and it opens in the Warren Theater this
3: weekend. And, uh, Dustin, that's all I'm fired up for about this week. Well, thank you for all of that, Caleb Masters. What say you, Mr. Arthur Gordon?
0: Uh, I've got several things. The first thing, and I've already kind of hit on it, I spent last Saturday Mm -hmm. in the theater Mm as one uh, does. The entire of the theater. Sorry. (laughs) The cinema. I spent 12 hours watching Best Picture Candidates. I saw the four that I had not seen, so now I've seen all nine, Um, which would be Dallas Buyers Club, Philomena. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street and 12 Years a Slave rank
1: them from favorite to least favorite go
0: 12 Years a Slave Wolf of Wall Street oh, it's, it's a tie on Philomena Dallas Buyers Club honestly uh, the next thing and I'm sure Dalton's going to talk about it too but I have to mention it because I watched it five times when it came out and that's the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer yes. I won't say much more uh, this is Oscar weekend I am always hyped up for that <laughs> again uh, hopefully by the time this drops we'll still have time but March First is the second day of AMC's Best Picture Showcase. They are showing the remaining five nominees, which would be Her, Nebraska. uh, I always forget them. Um, American Hustle, American Hustle, Gravity, and Captain Phillips. Those are the five playing this weekend. The last thing I'm fired up about uh, because I'm I'm finally excited to see it here is the Ninja Turtles trailer. (laughs) Yeah, airs is attached with Captain America Two, and so I have been in up in some realm about what's going to happen with the Ninja Turtles nonetheless (laughs) I am excited for this trailer to air to debut because that is my childhood (laughs) and so I turn it over to you Dalton Stewart what are you fired up about we
1: mentioned uh, on, on the show a couple weeks ago and it was part of our outro the, uh, the passing of Philip Seymour Hoffman um, this, this week I, I listened to Film Spotting's uh, tribute to Philip Seymour Hoffman in which uh, they talked about his, his best their favorite scenes of his and it was a whole hour and a half you know a show about about the actor and the man uh, and it was really uh, it made me want to make a better podcast it, it, it was really that good it made me remember why I love acting, why I love film, why I love Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, and why I love doing what we do on the show because we get to talk about uh, the film All right? and at the end of the day that's one of my favorite things in the world to do uh, and I'm sure I'm sad there aren't that many more Philip Seymour Hoffman movies left um, I also got to see the Lego movie and it's probably one of the smartest family films that's ever been made uh, it is beyond funny it is beyond subversive it is wonderful. It totally deconstructs the Cambellian uh, hero archetype. It is also very subversive in its political themes. It is also uh, very meta in its references toward um, toward fictional stories that are Cambellian in nature, such as Star Wars and The Matrix. Mm-hmm. It's friggin' great. Go watch it. Finally. I don't really give a good damn about trailers, much like Dustin doesn't really care about casting news. That being said, the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer is probably the best trailer I've seen ever. And by ever, I mean like the last five years. The reason I don't, because that's it's very limited ever. When people on the internet say it's the best thing ever, they mean the last five years. The reason I don't care about trailers is you can take any movie, any three minutes from any movie, and make it look any kind of way. You can make it look any tone, you can make it look any quality. You can take three minutes from Troll 2 and probably turn out, with the the right music and the right cuts and the right splash graphics, you can probably make it look pretty interesting. I
3: defy you to try. You can
1: also take any three minutes from her and make it look like an action movie. You can take any three minutes from any film and make it look like anything. I know, because the internet's done it. You can do anything with the trailer. Guardians of the Galaxy, though, gives me hope that movies based on not just Marvel comic books, but comic books in general, can continue to be exciting and different and new and give me, give us that joy that a big film can give, give us. Uh, finally, another trailer. Again, I don't really care about these things, but this was a week for them. Uh, the Godzilla trailer was really cool. It was good. It's cool. I, I don't know. I'm still apprehensive. I'm less apprehensive than I was, though. Uh, mostly because Brian Cranston's the tits. He's like the best thing ever. And his voice is great. And and uh, I don't know. I think they're going to do something interesting. Him talking about the end of the world is pretty yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. And maybe they'll do something interesting with Godzilla. It, it's got that dourness that legendary pictures seems to bring to everything. That they attached their money to. It definitely had some shades of Man of Steel in it. Uh, So I don't know. But the trailer was cool, so maybe it'll be good. But that Guardians of the Galaxy trailer ran. Holy crap! Oh god.
3: Dustin, what's got you fired up this week in popular culture? I'm very fired up in pop culture in that Steven <coughs> Soderbergh, and Arthur Gordon was kind enough to bring this to my attention, has put together a mashup of Gus Van Zant's and Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. It's available for free. That's right. Free 99 You too can watch. Uh, this mashup of these two films in which scenes are intercut, in which the shower scene is double transparenced upon one another from Van Zant, So we see Anne Hash and Janet Lee being slaughtered by both Vince Vaughn and Anthony Perkins. Well, not actually Anthony Perkins, nor Vince Vaughn, but nonetheless. Uh, those things all occurring, and the color, and the black and white, and wow... I'm very, very excited about these things because I'm always excited about all things Hitchcock. And so that's, that's a very, very exciting thing to me. I'm also really excited about what we do on this show because I had the opportunity to travel to the ABQ last week and go to the Southwest PCA slash ACA convention uh, where a bunch of papers were given doing theoretical analysis About, I don't know, Batman, Star Trek, Breaking Bad, The Walking Dead. I gave a paper about that. Uh, Papers given about art film like Hitchcock and Belle de Jour by Louis Bunuel. About ridiculous fun stuff like Doctor Who and Pokemon. Uh, where game theory in video games was given serious analytical thought with regards to the freedom of the will or the lack thereof, agency and its possibilities and its limitations, all of which applied to, I don't know, let's say Resident Evil, let's say uh, just your random fighter shoot 'em up video games, uh, where serious theoretical and Baroque analysis is applied to Scott Pilgrim's soundtrack. I'm talking about the video game, not the movie. Yeah, that stuff that happened where I was. I was with my people last week. That
1: being said, the soundtrack for Scott Pilgrim the film is amazing. Awesome.
3: Awesome. A great movie.
1: No, no, well the movie's
3: great. That soundtrack is in business. I just want to say, I was with my humans um, that resonate with my soul, and I had very, very, very... And what was the
1: formal title of this event? One more
3: time. This is the Southwest PCA. That's Pop Culture Association. Yeah, that's right. It exists. Happens every February, in the middle, in Albuquerque. You should go, dear listener. Uh, Even if you don't want to give papers and talk the talk and do those sort of things, you should listen to the things that are being said, because awesome. That is all I have to say. And i got to say this. The human beings that give these papers, also very awesome. I think you're going to be listening this week, and I'm so glad you are. And uh, it was it was one of the best weeks Did of my life. Did you plug this show while you were doing business? Uh, a little bit. Oh. I told people about this thing that happened. Well, oh, hey, we're
1: happy to have you. Welcome to the party.
3: Absolutely. And <laughs> welcome to the party. Uh, that all said... It was it was just it was absolutely a great week, and I realized that what we do is we actually deal with culture because when it comes down to the high art stuff, upstream color, and those sort of things that we're talking about this week for this show, this this this, great, month. this crazy month where we've done this. The thing is, there is a lot more social societal traction and conversation to be had in the lowbrow because and, more people have seen it. Absolutely, and it's more reflective, and it's more. Uh, is more expressive of what is going on right now in the here and now in our culture. And it's very, very interesting. And what we do matters. And thank you, Southwest PCA and fellow presenters whom I hung out with last week for showing me that what we do really does matter. You guys are awesome. And,
1: and to make a point of, of showing why what we do matters and why we do specifically what we do on the Good Tribe Genre cast... We're going to depart
3: about as hard as we possibly could from this last month's marathon. Because we realize it might be painful for the long-time listener.
1: Yeah, you're not used to this. You just just had to spend a month of us doing films we would never do uh, on this show, typically. So we're going to do a film that people have been asking us to for a long time, and honestly, we can't believe we haven't done it yet.
3: We're going to do the Whedon thing.
1: Arthur?
0: Serenity? No, no, no! Negative, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to look at one of the biggest box office hits of 2012 well, ever—the
3: first movie ever to make billion. Opening in, opening se- second, second. a billion dollars
1: in its opening. Second, second—a billion dollars in its opening, opening weekend. weekend. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. The only movie to make 500 million dollars in its second weekend. True story.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're looking at Marvel's coast slash Disney's The Avengers.
1: Avengers yes. Assembled, if you're nasty. Which um, is
0: what brings us it. now it's to weed. the end of the <laughs> show, in
3: which we it. say goodbye to Caleb as he goes to the <laughs> godforsaken wastes. <laughs> From whence you just returned. Uh, no, he's going to further yeah. east, yeah. Yeah, I went to New Mexico. I'm glad this conversation is degenerated in way, ways to avoid the schmaltz, because it might prevent the tears as we say a, a very heartfelt goodbye to one of the great contributors to all things cinema. Especially all things good trash. Mr... Harold Ramis, you are one of the greatest. You have spoken to all of our lives, and the world is a worse place without you, sir, and we all believe wholeheartedly where you are now, you are now examining the ectoplasm of the Holy Ghost, and we're so glad you're there. And uh, We don't all believe that. We miss you so much <laughs> already. I
1: definitely poured some ectoplasm out for my homie.
3: Absolutely. You know, I mean... And I don't actually believe in ectoplasm. Moving on. <laughs> but hey. So goodbye, Harold. Uh, we love and appreciate you. And we hope that you all take a look at the Avengers if you have been living under a rock and haven't happened to have seen it. Yeah. And we're gonna bring some analysis. That's right, sucker. We're gonna think it's gonna get cracked over long and hard about the movie The Avengers, and we cannot wait for next week's conversation. Thank you, everyone, for your (laughs) contributions to this week's show. You guys are so awesome. Take a look at the Avengers, and until then, we'll see you next time.
2: Terrence Malick before you work
0: her way up here. No. I don't even know if that would help. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's different. This is... This is... Yeah. I mean, if I were is, to rank this if you, if you were a viewer of Stan Braggage, you might be assessing okay. something. See,
3: the, the, the Malik comparisons... I, I, I like that because what Malik is trying to do is connect some hooks and eyes to a greater narrative tradition because Malick is mm. coming from the Christian tradition. And so there are these sort of intuitive and overt moments where... Days of Heaven connects to the Abraham and Sarah stories where Tree of Life connects to questions out of the book of Job mm-hmm. and, and, and these sorts of issues where there, there, is a, there is a narrative tradition bigger than the narrative that you find in the film that kind of helps you connect some of those dots. Caruth's not doing that. Mm-hmm. There is no broader narrative tradition. Uh, Walden is not helpful in this regard. What's
1: funny is we almost did two the wonder this week. Came damn close, really close. Came down to a coin
3: toss. (laughs) In fact, there were coins flipped. It happened. And behind the Wow, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. Okay, we cast lost. The spirit would have us do this. I I don't know between
1: this and the two Mallet films I've seen, uh, (laughs) The Tree of Life, and the infamous, uh, the infamous Days of Heaven episode. I don't know what film I I like the best and which film I like the least I would rate them all with two and a half to three stars and I would say I kind of I half like all of them you know what I mean I do I'd say they're all masterpieces of filmmaking to be sure yeah they're very in terms of my own subjective appreciation of them I'd say they're all two and a half to three stars and I don't know which one of them I find infuriating and which one I find actually somewhat enjoyable it's valid. Very. I mean, I think it, yeah, you're yeah. Totally on it's totally. But you somewhere. both like Days of
2: Heaven, though. Correct. It? I, 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 it. Like, I know you love it. I, I call it. Call I, it. you I, I, it I like, like, like it a lot yeah. myself. I don't like <clears throat> it quite
3: as well as I like Tree of Life. Now, Tree of Life is.
2: Yeah, I I love that movie.
1: I think, as I recall on the episode, I remember saying I like Days of Heaven more than Tree of Life.
3: Oh no! Like, that's first Watch. That's my recollection of European. Uh, I well. feel like yeah. the
1: more I've chewed on and, and tried to digest the Tree of Life, I find it more palatable. I still find it really obnoxious and up its own ass. Um, I actually, as up its own ass as I find upstream color, I feel like there's more to... There was more for me to connect myself to uh, that made it palatable. That checks out for you guys.
0: I think there's this issue. I think when you introduce narrative into art, you start... I think what Caruth has done, he's opened up a a, a forum for you to... Get what you want out of it, and I think that allows you to be more accessible to what it's mm-hmm. doing. And I think with Malick presenting a narrative, and he's kind of forcing his own standpoint view, which counteracts the art as part of his cinema.
1: I think the problem for me with Day of Heaven and Trees of the Tree of Life and Days of Heaven. Yeah, I know. I switched <laughs> to, yeah, the tints the there. Day of Life, yeah. Tree <laughs> of Heaven. Day of Life, Trees of Heaven. Um, <laughs> There's both of those things. The problem. <laughs> For me is I find the non-linear Non-narrative elements Of Days of Heaven More interesting Than those non-linear Non-narrative elements Of the Tree of Life However Mm -hmm. I find the narrative Of Tree of Life Far more engaging Than the narrative Of Days of Heaven And I think That's where my problem is I think I can get behind that Yeah uh, What 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 you say
3: Makes sense Now How does that all um, Connect to Upstream Color for you? Well Since this this is the movie We're talking about Yes it is
1: There are some moments In this film That I feel like are so. They're not even quoting Malik. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say they're plagiarizing Malik, but they might be circle jerking him a little bit uh, to, to get explicit on this episode. That is like
3: the third use of that I've encountered this week. Go ahead. <laughs> it's been a weird week. Because in both day,
1: Days of Heaven and the Tree of Life, we have. In Days of Heaven, we, we get these these time elapses of things growing, mm-hmm. we get we get these close-ups of the soil, of life happening at its inception. In Tree of Life, we get the same thing, but on a much grander scale, we get these shots of the universe, of the cosmos expanding and whirling. And... In upstream color, we get this together. We get these shots of of growth. We get the shot these shots of these cross sections of the dirt of plant life mm-hmm. with the colors of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Right. With these blues and these oranges and these, these really vivid colours. Interestingly
3: though, they're death, right? Because it's yeah. the pigs. Yes, it is. Yeah.
1: But also at the beginning when the the drug is being brewed, we get a little bit of this mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. so I mean Which is more death. It is not even to me, yeah, well it's it's manufactured through the Trying to... The worms that survived trying to kill them, I think? Or well, at least the death
3: of the dead worms, right? Well, there's ones... the
1: dead worms and the, the good ones and the bad ones. The good ones are yeah. still alive. Right. And I think the drug is made for the ones that survive the process of trying right. to make the
3: drug. Well, there's two different drugs, right? The drug that does the simultaneity thing is the dead worms. And the mind control worms are the live ones, right? I have no idea.
1: Does it matter? I don't think so.
0: I don't... Yeah, I don't know...
1: Movie was I know Sean Penn doesn't like the Tree of Life, but I don't like Sean Penn. So where does <laughs> that <was> leave <laughs> me? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Screw you, Sean Penn. Uh,
1: yeah, he, he was sure. he was only in the movie. Hey, you should have done uh, done more Fast Times at Ridgemont High and less whatever the hell it is you've been doing for the last thirty years. I don't know. You kind of turned blue pawns on me.
0: He gets a uh, he gets a pass for Mystic River though. Mystic River is some business, and It was a phenomenal film,
1: and the he didn't make into the Wild He okay, Fair enough. I mean, he was in Walter Mitty, guys. I mean, come on, right? Was really? Yeah, I didn't see it. I'm just joking, but yeah, uh,
2: he was. I just really? heard that from the trailer. He's the he's the explorer that Ben Stiller is chasing the entire time, and oh, he, exactly he, so he's
1: briefly at the end. No one cares. Um, so where does your question, Dustin, was where does that leave me with Upstream Color? My experiences with the Tree of Life and um, Days of Heaven, right? Mm-hmm. I think I like Upstream Color better than both of those Terrence Malick films. I really do. And again. I mean, there is again. He's quoting Malik so hard. He he's basically plagiarizing him at certain points. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, not even homages, not even quotations of an you know an inter- intertextual nature. I mean, I'm straight ripping him off I mean, stylistically. Yeah, I think he does it really well though, so it works for me.